the age of digital marketing, where there's so much choice and so many distractions, it's easy to find a reason why a listing or a lead didn't go your way. Maybe that buyer wasn't actually ready, or maybe that seller decided to list with an old friend. But for Tim and Julie Harris, there's only one reason why your real estate business isn't what you want it to be, and that's you. Tim and Julie know a thing or two about what it takes to succeed in real estate. In their first year as real estate agents, they managed to sell more than a hundred homes, bringing in over $10 million. That success propelled them to a thriving real estate coaching business that's helped thousands of agents improve their craft by taking ownership of their strengths and weaknesses. In this interview, Tim and Julie Harris describe the benefits of living a media-free life and explain why taking responsibility for everything that goes wrong in your business is the key to building a successful real estate practice. This is Brad Allen with The Art of Real Estate in Columbia, South Carolina. This is Garen Selican with M Realty out in Portland, Oregon. Hello, this is Tim Harris. And this is Julie Harris. And you're listening to the Marketing Genius Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Genius Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes with the most brilliant real estate professionals and brands to uncover the latest digital marketing tools and tricks for your online arsenal. Now, here are your hosts, Seth Price and Matt Barbet. I am so psyched to finally have you guys on the show. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day. Oh, our pleasure. So, you know, one of my favorite stories about you guys is that you sold, you know, what, $10 million in real estate your first year. How in the hell did you do that? And then my second question from there is like, what's changed since then? Uh, well, it was a hundred, I guess the better way of telling that story is because it, I think it encapsulates really what it was is we sold 103 houses our first year in the business. And when we started out, we were selling obviously, and this was, you know, in the nineties and the, basically the early mid nineties. And so we're talking about when, you know, a normal price was old house price was obviously a lot less than it is now. And we were selling in Columbus, Ohio. And so what's changed since then? I have to say, Julie, overall, not really that much. <laughs> I mean, people, now people we have I think it has, I think, but the basics never change. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's one of the things that makes uh, our industry so much fun. But, uh, you know, you asked how we did it, and I always go back to uh, we were quite motivated paying student loans off and mm-hmm. sharing a car at the time. And uh, the funny thing was we didn't really, and, and this sounds kind of odd, but this is the truth, we didn't know that that was like a significant thing. We just knew that we had bills to pay, student loans to pay off. We didn't want to share a car anymore. Yeah. And about halfway through the year, you know, our, and our broker had always been doing very well. And he said, okay, that, that's pretty good. See, you know, I think he said something like, see if you can hit a hundred or something like that. And we're like, all right, that sounds good. We can, we can pay some stuff off with that. So I think motivation certainly helps. Yeah. And we really never looked at any other options. It just had to work for us. Yeah. Well, nobody told us, nobody said any pre, you know, our, our broker, Rory Averill, if you guys are in Columbus, Ohio, and you're looking for a great broker, I can't imagine having a better broker, truthfully. Uh, new agents, ex- experienced agents, what have you, is just fantastic, Rory and Terry. But he didn't set any, you know, he didn't, he didn't go and do what most other brokers do. Oh, the first six months, you're not going to make any money, and you're going to work with buyers. And the next five years, you're only going to work with buyers. He just basically said, you know, go out there and get to work. And if you have any questions, call me and don't expect me to call you back and learn from your mistakes. And every time we screw something up, 
You know, you'd always say, well, you won't do that one again, will you? <laughs> how much did that mistake cost you? You know, that was kind of old school coaching back then. Yeah. What'd that cost you? <laughs> that was, that was and then you'd hang up. <laughs> Rory, we, Julie and I just had to buy her a microwave for someone's house because it turns out the microwave wasn't built in. It was plugged in. How much did that mistake cost you? 500 bucks. Click. <laughs> uh, there you go. The school of hard knocks. I love that. Yeah, oh, yeah, but that worked. It, you know, what's interesting is when you don't know what the ceiling is, it's a lot higher than if you do. Very it, true. It's almost like that four Very minute, true. you know, the four minute mile. It's like forever. It's like, it's impossible. And then once it's broken, it's like, you know, it gets broken repeatedly. Um, when you guys, you know, clearly you went through the housing crisis and you had started training folks uh, after that. How did your approach to training agents evolve? Julie, let me take this one. Well, so we, out of college, mostly more or less out of college, Julie, Julie and I had bought a house and we were dabbling in investment real estate while we were still in college. We had married for 26 years this year. We we're in our mid forties. That's congratulations. No, yeah, you can't, right? can't say that statement after saying I've been married for 26 years. I know you well, meant it no, about be, how old you were. Well, it's because I met Julie when she was like basically 15, 16. Uh, and to think now that I married her and she's 46, I mean, that's kind of an amazing thing. You know, lucky man. just the passage of time, it goes by so quick. Yeah. But really, as far as like, uh, now I don't even remember your question. I'm thinking about Julie when she was 15 or 16. Sorry. <laughs> it's how, how your approach to training uh, agents has evolved. Oh. So we were, Howard made us, uh, Howard Britton stars in uh, 97 or 98. Yeah. And so we started going to conferences and this is, and I've not told this story very often, but this is really how it happened. So Howard had this, um, you know, Howard who is a legend and always will be legendary in the real estate space. So he had this audience of, I don't know, I'm sure it was 1,000, 1,500, I don't know, thousands of people. And so he was for the first time discussing his new coaching program. And I remember Howard standing on stage and he sort of, you know, passively mentioned, I was thinking about, you know, I'm thinking about starting a coaching program and I'm going to be coaching people personally and I've hand selected, you know, whatever he said. And they said, if you're interested at break, just come up and give me your business card. So break happened and everybody just basically the whole crowd just, you know, he looked like a Christmas tree with all these business cards hanging off him. And then we had people that were coming up to us and they said, Tim and Julie, do you offer coaching? Is this something you guys do? And again, we didn't know what coaching was. We'd never had a coach before. I mean, not in a you know, real estate business sense. Yeah. And, um, you know, we didn't discover Howard. Howard discovered us. I mean, Howard discovered us after we sold our, um, you know, after we did what he did our first year. Remax, um, you know, we won the National Association of Realtors. It was like, Julie, what was it? Agents of the Year in the Rookie Category. I don't want to yep. missay it. There's something yeah. like that. Yeah. This was, this was before the 30 under 30. They didn't acknowledge 30 people then. They just acknowledged us and they chose us, which was a huge honor. So Remax then would, you know, flew us out and then we met, you know, to Colorado and then we met Howard and then Howard made us stars and the rest is kind of history. So anyway, at break, these, some of these people are coming up to Julie and I, do you guys do coaching? And we thought, well, maybe, I don't know, give me your card. And so we called some of these guys, agents back. I mean, I know what it was. And this, this was, again, this was back in 98, right? Yeah. So this is a while yeah. ago, 98, 99, somewhere in there. I don't remember. And, um, yeah, we, we picked up our first coaching client and, and, and then another, and then another. And the cool thing is, is some of those guys are still with us as personal coaching clients to this day. And that's just awesome. So that's really the whole history of it. So then, then we went and we had our own business uh, when we started, it was 07, you know, you said it right, Seth, basically the markets were starting to correct and crash. And 
Julie and I saw the writing on the wall or wall that there was going to be, you know, short sales and the market was going to change. Well, fortunately, we cut our teeth on a, I don't want to call it a, I mean, in Ohio, the market is, was never like a booming seller's market. It was always, um, houses took an average of 181 days to sell and, you know, some expires were huge and for sale, but just opportunities everywhere. But you had to know how to help a seller more than just putting a sign in the yard, pricing it right, waiting for you know somebody else to sell the house. Yeah. So we had to learn how to do short sales the hard way. You know, we had to learn all this Not stuff. Not even in a recession. It was just all you had to do was Normal. move too soon and you didn't have any yeah. equity. You had a small down payment and you were short sale. That yeah. was it. So yeah. it, was, it was like May or June of 07. I'll never forget this. This is, a, again, I don't think I've ever talked about this publicly. I, you know, Julie and I, that's it. So we were doing this webinar and we had, I, I don't even know, Julie, how many, a couple thousand and they're almost all Keller Williams agents. Mm-hmm. And we had, um, we were, we were doing webinars. We were trying to, you know, we, this is new technology, the webinar, whole concept, everything we're, you know, we are pioneers in this whole space, basically of selling off webinars. This is a internet marketing thing, but you agents listening, don't, you don't guys need to care about that. But so we started like halfway through the webinar, we're just interviewing, we're giving great information, we're telling folks how to do short sales. And then, you know, we had uh, folks that we called in from banks, treasure, you know, it's just anyone we can get in to help edu- agents be educated about short sales. And I, I looked at the questions for the first time. Remember, I've never done one of these before, basically. And I looked at the question queue and the question that kept on coming up maybe a hundred times was what the heck is a short sale? <laughs> so here I am talking about how to do a short sale. We never actually explained it. I mean, so we well, told them what a short sale. At that time, you know, everybody was freaking out what is going on with the market. Right. And I remember there were so many people on that webinar. I was checking to make sure they were even on the right webinar. I mean, it was, it was pandemonium. And then tons yep. of that question, what's a short sale? Well, the market didn't know it was a short sale. And then from there, basically, we started having, you know, we just, you know, that's where it just really took off. In an unexpected way, it really what was interesting, and this is how life kind of works, as long as you're in action, is that it was the convergence of all of our previous, you know, work. Everything was just coming together right there at that very moment, like, when we had to figure out how to do short sales, when we sold real estate, and we had to figure out how to sell over a hundred houses, and we had to figure out how to, you know, all the stuff that goes with that. And then right there, you know, ten years ago, all that stuff just came together at that very moment on a webinar. And then we had hundreds of people enroll. And then since then, we've had literally tens of thousands of people. Now the short sale program's not obviously popular like it was, and now we've migrated back to the more traditional coaching, which is what we've, you know, which we did for Cut your you know ages. Out. Yeah. So yeah, I mean. Being a real estate professional, has, you said it didn't change, but I think like some, so many of the outside forces have changed. What's different about the job today? Um, well, I mean, we can go on forever about that. Well, it, I, I think that some of it is the versatility of being willing to change the training that we offer. I mean, if somebody told me that we we're going to have a BPO cash flow class, you know, 15 years ago, I'd say, you know, probably what's a BPO, right? Yeah. But being, being willing to change and give agents what the market is demanding of them at the time, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, it's challenging sometimes as a coaching organization to be that on, on the razor's edge all the time. You know, what we're talking about quite a bit right now is finding inventory. We had a podcast called Inventory Hide and Seek. Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> not something that we talked about during the recession. There were plenty of you know, so being able to be versatile and flexible and still providing the best product and coaching possible at any given time in any given market, I think that's, 
both a challenge and a blessing. I think it makes all of our coaches better. I think it makes coaching a lot more fun. We know a lot more about different, you know, different avenues. And even across the country, you know, not everybody is playing inventory hide and seek. There's yeah. areas where that's not an issue. Yeah. And to have that versatility from not just from market to market, but from coaching client to coaching client in different price ranges. Well, Julie just touched on something, Seth. I mean, there's no one way, you know, everybody's different. And so the, uh, one of the things I think that we do well is we identify what someone's an individual strengths and their weaknesses are. And a lot of people will say, well, let's build on your weaknesses. But the truth is, is there's not enough time in the day for yeah. most folks to get better at their weaknesses. Yeah. So there are a few things that everyone, that virtually everyone wants to avoid. Those things must be mastered um, or at least have a high level of competency. But other than that, being successful in real estate, I mean, being successful in any business, it doesn't come down to a million things. It comes down to just doing maybe three things every day, but owning that result, making it so that everything else can go to hell that day. But those three things you absolutely owned. And when you identify what those three things are, and they're pretty much the same with everybody, but when you get those three things down and you master those three things, there's no real limit. And you ask what's more difficult. I'll tell you what I honestly think. When Julie and I were sitting in that conference room back in, I don't know, early 90s, right? And we were sitting in the conference room. We were thinking about, you know, I remember asking Rory, well, okay, what do we do? You know, we're new real estate agents. What do we do? You know, there was no training. There was no coaching. There was nothing. He he goes out and he grabs this big Remax preferred supplier catalog and just drops it in front of us. You know, you flip through it and there's these done for you postcards and all this other stuff. And it's great stuff, I suppose, but that didn't answer our question. And so we then had to go out. And we had, to, we had to study it ourselves. We started mirroring what other folks were doing that were successful. And we started doing the stuff that we still teach today. We, that's where we created our scripts and our lead and all the things that we did. We've, you know, I think, I did, dare I say, perfected over the last couple of decades to the point where it is today. But the thing that's the biggest challenge for most agents, Seth, and I'm sure, you, well, I would think you would agree, is the constant barrage of distractions, yeah. of easy button things, of, of things that basically are out there trying to grab hold of the uh, agent's wallet share that really is not, that sounds great, that's selling to the agent's weakness, which is essentially that they don't really have to do the real work. Um, and then the agent, when that doesn't work, which inevitably it doesn't, or it doesn't work for long because whatever idea becomes oversaturated, then the agent gets discouraged and uh, disenfranchised and they blame themselves. Whereas the reality of it is, is that no one has taken the time to say, look, this is a, these are the core activities you need to be focusing on. Yeah, I know some of these suck, but you still got to do them and you got to do them really well every single day. And then these are the things you focus on secondarily, then you go on down from there. I want to touch on two things you said. One, you mentioned this own everything, like own the activities. What's that mindset? Like when you talk about that, like, is Uh, it about control? Yeah. Like, is it about like, you know, you being the last line of defense? Like, is it a, is it a mindset an attitude? Like, how do you think about that? Seth, I'm getting to know you, but I bet you that uh, you have three things that you absolutely kick ass at every day, and you do not end your day until you've done those things at the highest level. I am guessing that there's no way you'd be as as successful as you are had you not, you know, either consciously or unconsciously determined what those three things are. And what we do is help agents determine what those three things are. So, like our advanced agents, the agents that are making, you know, the big bucks, one of the, and this, again, this isn't for everyone. I know this is kind of hardcore for a lot of people but you set a pre-qualified listing appointment per day and you take a listing a day. That's the rule. That's your benchmark. That's what you live by. That's it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you, there's other specific things. And you, if it, if you just really get good, 
at three things. Julie's a professional musician. She's played played in orchestras. This is kind of where I got this concept from. You know, they ha- they don't have to learn a million things. They have to learn a few things really well. Then all the other things fall in place. It's true with everything in life. Um, you know, you control your environment, you control your health, and you control your wallet. Pretty much everything else after that falls in place. You also mentioned, you know, basically that owning it. Like once you identify what the things are, that owning it is also being really clear that it's, that it's always your fault. Like what are, what are those things? Ah, yes. That is a, you went right to something that always raises eyebrows. <laughs> Julie, I'll get, I'll get us started on this one. You can jump in. Okay. Sure. Well, right now it is, uh, everything around you is going to reinforce the idea that it's not your fault. And I don't want to be political. I don't want to be politically correct. I just want to state a fact that if you start out the mindset, if you adopt the mindset, and it is super hard to do this, that everything is your fault, and that you that will make it so that you are responsible for constant improvement. And I'll give you an extreme example. Let's say, for example, you, after today's uh, podcast, let's say you go to a restaurant, you park your car, and as you're pulling out, completely, you're doing everything just perfectly fine. And some person accidentally hits you, nothing, nobody's hurt, nothing big, nothing bad, just a slight fender bender. It's the other person's fault. You weren't doing anything incorrectly. You know, all the things would tell you that it's the other person's fault. But if you say this was my fault, I know guys, this is extreme, but stay with me because I'll make it make real, I'll make it make sense in a second. If it was, if it's my fault, if you say it's my fault because I was in that spot at that time, because I chose to go to that restaurant at that time, because I decided to pull out at that time. That is extreme ownership, and that's what I'm talking about. Got it. So if you go to a, now making it relevant, if you go and you go on a listing presentation, we our primary energies are focused on agents becoming killer listing agents, and you don't take the listing, how many agents actually have the chutzpah to call back and ask why? You know, how, many, how many of them will blame something else? Well, they took the other agent's price, or they, you know, the other agent had an inroad, they knew him from church, or they kids swim in the same swim team. They kind of go through all these rationalizations opposed to saying it was my fault. I didn't take this listing and I'm going to find out why. So that doesn't happen again. Extreme ownership. I can't tell you how many sales I've gotten after getting no, I'd say exactly, you know, another, an additional 20% of those no's turn into yeses. When you ask that question, it's fear, it's fear probably that stops people from doing it. I love that ego. Yeah, but it's ego, oh, Seth. Yeah. Oh, it's ego. Tell, tell me more. Tell me why that. Well, okay. well. So we, Julie and I, uh, everywhere we can, and anyone who will listen to us, we tell them to get uh, Julie. Ego is the enemy. Talk about that book because that was yeah. that was really impactful on all of our listeners and all of our students and all of our coaches and all of our sales reps. So talk about ego as the enemy. It's well, not our that's book. That's a great book. That's a great yep. book to uh, recommend. I think it's Ryan Holiday, right? Yeah. He wrote, trust me, I'm lying as well. Yeah. 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 Great, great stuff. And, uh, you know, listenable on audible or, you know, readable old, old school style. It's great and very digestible on the topic of ego. And really it gets back to this idea of ownership and not making it about everybody else doing something to you or being a victim or any of these things. You know, if you don't take a listing, it's your fault on some level. Yeah. If they had an inroad and they, they listed with somebody because they golf with that person, well, it's your fault because you're not getting out there working with your center of influence as much as you probably could be doing. Yeah. If you lost it because of price, it's because you're not great at pricing. Yeah. 
You know, if you lost it because of commission, it's because you can't overcome commission objections and maybe it's all of the above. Yeah. So the ego comes in when you don't want to accept and own those facts and do anything about it. It's just more convenient and it's easier to say, well, you know what? That seller wasn't that motivated anyway. It's probably not going to sell. And I, you know, I, and, I love and you that's guys hiding more out now. from your income. <laughs> you know? I love you guys more now. This is good. Um, so well, get, get the book. You'll love Seth. But, it's, but we, Julie and I had been studying ego and the negative ramifications of ego. And it, uh, it's always leads you back to some sort of spiritual book kind of thing, which yeah. is not really our, our thing is business. Are we focused on helping, you know, agents primarily build profitable real estate practices? And so when you try to bring ego in and it, what Ryan's done is he took a very obtuse topic and he's made it, I think, uh, palatable for the uh, non-spiritually inclined. So definitely go and... Yeah, yeah, it's very go. understandable. And I think, you know, you you really can apply this to virtually everything in real estate. When agents don't call somebody back after getting a lead in their voicemail, that's ego because yeah. the agent it doesn't want to be bothered. Now, they'll say they don't want to bother the other person, but it's because they don't want to mm-hmm. feel like they're on call. They don't yeah. want to feel like they have to be urgent about anything. And that same agent sometimes will then say, well, I'm really frustrated because I'm not making what I should make. And, and they'll say they don't have enough leads when in fact it really comes down to their understanding of helping people at the highest level they can help someone and helping them when that person needs the help. Yeah. It's, it's not really about the collective you. It's about how many people you can help. And that's where profit comes from. So let me, let me switch gears just a little bit. So you guys have trained, you know, tens of thousands of agents when when you see them, what is it, can you read on someone whether they can be, that they're going to be successful or not? Uh, no, no. I mean, look, <laughs> I love the question, by the way. The answer is absolutely not. And you can't tell from DISC personality styles. You can't tell from any of the little Swami tarot card card reading things that people think they can. You can't. I mean, look at Julie and I prior to uh, getting into real estate. I had a car cleaning and detailing business. I had it through college. And that's, you know, that's what we did. And Julie was an elf. I mean, not a real elf, but she worked at a year-round Christmas store. Yeah. I mean, there's only, there's only two kinds of people that come home after work covered with glitter. And the other one's a stripper. So Julie would come home every night covered with glitter. <laughs> I'm the elf type. That's right. Yeah. But, so, but she literally was a foot. And that's what we did. And so would anyone have looked at Julie and I? anyone at any point in our lives and said that we would be and do what we did. Not just no, but hell no. But what they have said we would be. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure I agree with that because I would look at you and go, Hey, you didn't know us then. No. Well, maybe I didn't. Maybe there's from what you tell me, you had a work ethic that allowed you to have a business at a very young age, which is somewhat unusual. And you were, both working hard to do something and you were, were you in school at the same time? Yeah, we went to school. We had no money and we went to Ohio state and we, and we, then we also went to Otterbein together, but Ohio state and you know, we shared books. We had to take the same classes. Well, the reason I asked this question, the reason I asked this question is because I sort of feel like you probably have an intuition and I'm just curious whether you've ever seen that intuition come to play or whether there's no consistency at all. No, of course we do. And, and, and being, uh, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, you know, in the, yes, absolutely. And the more you coach, coaching is very cathartic and you do develop your intuition. If you're going to be, if you're going to be good at anything, but if you're going to be good at coaching, if you're going to be good at, good at sales, 
we, Julie and I are very aware of the power of intuition. We discuss it all the time. We share experiences where, you know, we have things that will happen that would be, you know, people call it intuition. Other things, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to get weird on your listeners, but the reality is, yes, we believe in it. Um, but I have to say all of that could be, uh, worthless if it wasn't just for massive action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, understood. You know, Completely that's understood. It. That overcomes everything. If, if you're an, if you're a dorky introvert with, you know, no reason that anyone would ever think you'd be a salesperson, or if you're a, you know, and naturally gifted, everyone is attracted to you type, you know, person or somewhere in the between it doesn't none of that stuff means a damn thing. The person that wins is action. Yeah. The person that wins is the person that doesn't, you know, that's really the most important thing. They're not taking thing. action perfectly yeah. and by the book. That's right. You know, yep. I, I think that intuition is a big part of it. And there's certainly things that we do see early on in coaching, like past performance. You know, if somebody was really great at tennis and they understand practice and they understand doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at a high level, yeah. that that matters and that repetitious boredom pays off and all those types of things. Well, yeah, we'd absolutely see some trends that way. But we also believe, and we coach our coaches this way as well, that you have to believe in every single coaching client because maybe you're the only one who's ever believed in them. Yeah. No, I totally and maybe get, I that's totally what'll get that. unlock. I totally and you get know what we're going back to? What we're going back to is the question, Seth, that you asked a couple of questions ago as it relates to what we do now as far as coaching. So we have to, if, if someone's not succeeding, if someone's not moving forward, I mean, obviously there's only so much you can do, but the reality of it is in the mindset that we've always had, uh, maybe sometimes to uh, our detriment is that if the person's not moving forward, it's not because they suck. It's because we suck. I we have it. to get better at our craft. Yep. We have to get better at what we're doing. We wouldn't allow some external thing. Now, yeah, there's crazy things that happen with people. They get distracted. They go down the wrong path. They, you know, life happens. Yeah. But our mind, that's how we think. Everyone, of course, can be successful. Are there some leading indicators that you found that predict success? Julie said one, past successes, but most people don't have any, truthfully. Mm -hmm. if, you'd ask, if you'd asked me if I had any past successes when you, if we'd met when I was basically in college about to get into real estate, I mean, the car cleaning and detailing business, I suppose. I mean, that was making, I remember Julie and I went to one of our college TAs, an English guy, and we, an English TA, and you know, we were talking about college and this business that was blossoming this detailing business. And this is, you know, back when a hundred thousand dollars was, a, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. And uh, we told him what the little car cleaning detailing was making. He practically peed himself. And we told him, <laughs> he, I remember he said, why are you guys in college? Why are you just doing that? So, but I mean, that would have been the only early indicator for me. I mean, Julie had won music competitions and things like this, but she wasn't being, she wasn't being called up to you know, the Ivy leagues to play flute. I mean, so there would have been, I don't think I, really I think work ethic. I think, you hit it best. I think work ethic is definitely whether they uh, come with a work ethic or not, but the willingness to adopt a work ethic yeah, and to not fight that too much. I see that um, as an early indicator. And again, it doesn't have to be naturally inborn with them. It, they just have nope. to be open-minded enough to, take action, even if that's a little bit of action every day to start and then build on that, yeah. that open-mindedness to embrace that. I think that's a big thing. I'll, I'll tell you one thing I do see though, is that if you have the people, um, very rarely does real estate attract somebody who has better options, right? Real yeah. estate isn't, it, it isn't somebody's first choice. Nobody, I don't think it, there's not too many people out there that said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a real estate agent. That isn't just the way it is. And unless of course, it, unless it's legacy. Sort of, 
That's true. But even then, I mean, yeah. we've coached plenty of teams and whatnot. And even then the kids will, you know, they'll re- most of them begrudgingly follow their parents just because they don't think they have any other options. Yeah. But yes, you're right. But you know, the fact is, is that historically real estate has been a fallback or it's mm-hmm. been a supplement or it's been an add on. It hasn't been the thing. Now that's changing now, I think. Yeah. Um, but when you, when you look at basic people that have been successful in the past in any way, that's an early indicator. But the other one I really like to look for is if they grew up, uh, and they've had to fight if they've grown up poor, I don't mean physically fight. Well, I suppose that would be yeah. the other side, but if they've grown up poor or lower middle class and they're pissed off about it in some way, you don't always wear it on their sleeve so you can see it. But if you sense that intuitively, yeah, man, then you got a spark. Once you got that spark, it's our job to throw the logs on. You got You got a fighter. Yeah, I agree. I agree yeah. with that completely. Um, you guys talk a lot about, you know, sort of mindset. And one of the things that I've always been curious about is how do you protect a mindset? Like, you know, everyone probably in the audience can go, Hey, I know when I'm sort of like focused and in my, in my sweet spot and I'm doing the right things and I'm, you know, it's that sort of that flow that happens, but we're always getting distracted. How, how do you coach people to protect their mindset? Jules? Well, I think the first thing, and I think this is especially important right now in our current times, is to follow a media-free life as much as possible. Wait, say it and again. <laughs> say it again. I got media, hear media-free life. Okay, what is that mean? Certainly a media-free morning. Well, it means that you don't spend, you know, endless hours Eddie. on Facebook or watching, Eddie. you know, yeah. this and that with opinions on this and that and all this negativity that's floating around out there. It's just such a massive distraction whether you believe what you're listening to or not, nine times out of 10, media is negative. Yeah. You know, the, you know the old joke that there used to be a newspaper that reported only good news, but they went out of business. Yeah, they did. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so there's that, right? And that, that applies to online media. It applies to TV and radio and all that kind of stuff. Even the stuff that lands in your email every morning. Yeah. Media-free life. And to try just that one major thing, that takes a lot of self-discipline to just say no and say, you know what, what do I actually want my day to go like? Because if you don't decide how your day is going to go, someone or something else is going to get into your mindset and control how it ends up. Oh, that's so awesome. So you, just, be, just to dr- drill down on that, because it's really critical. Yeah, when you go through, when you're deciding, that, if you feel like crap, if you're not getting what you want out of life, if you're not being, it just there's no joy, you're just joyous, the colors aren't as bright as they used to be. The first thing to do after you've seen your doctor to make sure there's no problems <laughs> is you have to basically go completely media free. Literally, yeah. I mean, it, and it's hard. Start with media free morning. That's what Jules said. And then go to media free life. What does media free mean? And she said it, but just to repeat it, because news nowadays, you have to look, I'm going to use a really extreme word and it'll probably piss people off, but it does make a point. New, the news has become subversive. It's yeah. become evil. And it does screw up your mindset. And the way that the news, like Facebook and all these other things, the way they feed you guys is your news streams, is it, it's not even a balanced uh, feed of news. They're sending, if you clicked on something about, you know, somebody's head blowing off, then they're going to assume you like blowing off head information. Yeah. And that's what your news is going to be filled with. And it'll take you about a week to believe that there's some sort of, you know, head blowing off problem. I mean, that was maybe a disgusting example. And Julie's going to yell at me later for saying that. But the point of it is, is that going media free will free your mind for new thoughts, new energies, new actions. And that's really the first thing you got to start with. So no newspaper, no radio. Yes. Listen to podcasts. And that's what a lot of people are doing. That's, podcast. Yeah. So let me tell well, you, let me tell you a story. Um, I, 
my dad was a hippie and you know, I was born in the sixties and I didn't have a TV and have never had a TV and I haven't, you know, many, many, many years later. So I have four children. They don't have TVs now. Now things have changed. They've got iPods and iPads, but I do turn off the internet, uh, at nine o'clock for the little kids and at, you know, midnight for the older kids. Um, so we've never had it, but what it's allowed me to do is have a massive amount of time to do things that I want. So whether that's stay in shape or work or write, you know, that's how you write a book or have dinner Mm -hmm. with my wife. Like we don't, we don't watch a show. I can't tell you. I don't even think the only show I can remember seeing was West Wing. Do you remember West Wing? <laughs> oh, of course. That that's was awesome. A, that's that's why I learned, learned the word onomatopoeia. <laughs> oh, yes. Onomatopoeia. Um, yeah, that's the last show that I remember watching. So, thank yeah, you. But isn't that uh, liberating, you media free. Yeah. It's helpful. Right. I mean, I do the, the social media thing is tough. I mean, I go in, in waves where I'll be completely on social and then I'm like, wait a second, this is messing with my desire to get things done and I just won't respond it's to messages. It's ego. Yeah. This goes back to ego. The, Facebook is nothing but a, basically a narcissistic outpost. That's what it is. Yeah. And then the news and all this stuff basically feeds the ego. The little pang of energy you get when oh, you yeah. read some negative or that's the ego's the reacting and it wants more of it. Kicks in and you just feel like a rush. Someone liked my thing. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. That's narcissism, guys. Stop yep. it. It's standing <laughs> in the way of you getting what you deserve out of life. So I want to talk a little bit about lead generation because you guys have a thesis at least that's what I'm thinking about it you have a a way that you train folks on the lead generation wheel tell me about that Jules yeah well so we use the spokes in the wheel model okay so basically how that goes is if you forget about real estate for a second and you think about a bicycle wheel and you just assembled that bicycle and you figure, you know, this spoke feels pretty good. Maybe it's a really strong one. I don't need all these other parts. I'll just, you know, the bike runs. And so you're riding your bike and you got this really strong spoke in the front wheel, but you only have one spoke, right? And you hit a rock on the bike path. Well, you're probably going to wipe out and, and maybe it's going to end up in a bloody mess and maybe it's just going to be a scuff, but you're definitely going to wipe out because mm-hmm. the front wheel wasn't strong enough, right? Yeah. So that's kind of like a lot of agents experienced when they were working just referrals and we we're headed into the great recession and then people weren't buying and selling for fun anymore. They actually had to have other things going on. Right. Yeah, yeah. So instead of that, and we call that a one spoke wonder, you only have one source of business, you're at risk for wiping out. So instead we, we teach the multiple spoke Avenue. So you've got lots of things driving your business. And I think Tim, you would agree with that. We've, we've, we practiced that spokes in the wheel model. That's how we figured it out. But I think that, um, you probably want to elaborate on that. Well, so the, yes, exactly. It's in, again, Julie hit on all the high points, but true story, coaching client comes to us and this gal is very famous in the United States, build her business primarily on over the phone prospecting. And let me tell you, this gal was absolutely Navy SEAL team six level as far as her skills, just phenomenal. I learned from her, right? She was just great. Loved coaching her or, you know, loved talking with her. So I knew her before she became a coaching client. So Julie and I then, um, you know, she, she calls us one day. I'm kind of skipping a lot of story, but she, she calls us and we hadn't heard from her for a while. And then she said, um, I remember you guys talking about having multiple spokes. And I remember you telling us that, or telling me that 
you know, I needed to have something other than just prospecting. And let me tell you what happened. I got laryngitis. And of course I only had one spoke. So I had to talk. I had to pick up the mm. phone. And so I didn't listen to the doctor. And so I talked while I had laryngitis and I ended up, you know, making it worse. And then she lost her voice, Seth, for like a month. <laughs> mm. And then she, so then she realized the importance of having that, you know, multiple spokes to, as Julie said, have a stronger wheel. So I think that analogy and that story probably tie everything together. And so what our goal is, is for all of our coaching clients and any business, by the way, is to have at least seven strong spo- uh, uh, spokes. Why seven? Because that's what, it, for the most part, that's what everyone, all the top producing agents in the country, if you look at where the business comes from, their first few spokes are the are generally speaking the most reliable, and off that the you know say you know spoke four through seven they're going to be the ones that are less consistent they're less reliable. But sometimes what might happen is that you'll have like I mean like say for example there's some you know great online lead generation thing that is absolutely kicking ass. Then it becomes oversaturated because everyone else is doing it, and then the next thing you know you you're at it, you have to go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. That's the reason that. Um, and you're always chasing the newest novelty thing. You're never actually learning anything. You're just having to always be living in fear because you are not in control of your output. You cannot predictably say, I'm going to take one a listing today and set one listing today. And unless you understand the power of the spokes and which spokes you need to develop first, you will always be chasing the, the, you know, the new shiny, pretty red, easy button type object. You'll never have the confidence and, and the competence to have a real predictable real estate business. It's one of the reasons that so many agents have cash spurts opposed to cash flow. Yeah. You, can you touch on what some of those folks are? Well, I mean, if you think about, and every study that's ever been done, um, and you know, going all the back, all the way back forever, if you look at essentially where people choose to find their, any kind of professional, they always follow the same behavioral patterns. And for the sake of time, I don't need to go through the whole thing. But in essence, we, we, if you have a, a choice between, this is just a kind of a way we stage it, is it, when you stage it this way, people don't fight it. Mm-hmm. So if you have a room full, if you have a room full of people, uh, a thousand people, let's say, and, and then you're saying, okay, I want to talk to those of you who are, those of you who actually have a house to sell and you want to sell it now, you have to sell the house. I want you to stand up. And let's just say statistically, you're going to have, I don't know, 50 people that are stand. Oh, and you want to sell it in the next 90 days. Yeah. You're going to have those 50 people that, that stand up. Okay. Those 50 people come to the front of the room. I have something to talk to you about versus basically blanket marketing. And so, you know, hoping that, and, and worrying about all the other people in the audience, you know, focus on the people that have their hands in the air right now that want to list their house and focus first on listings. This, this, there's been a whole generation in the past 10 years of agents that have come into the business that have never learned how to generate their own listings. They're yeah. all buying buyer leads. Yeah. And so they've never actually learned how to the real meat and potatoes of the business, which is going now buyer leads are awesome. We love buyers. Buyers are great. But if you learn how to basically uh, become a killer listing agent, you are going to have, there's going to be no limit. Listing agents have leverage. Buyers agents are only leveraging their time. Yep. That's the difference. Yep. Makes complete sense. So you guys run, a highly productive coaching business. You work with a lot of major brands, your columnists and speakers. How do you make the time and keep track of it all? Oh, Julie, you can answer that one. And maybe <laughs> pretty much don't. stick to a schedule. I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, of course, but yeah, you know, in the coaching business things, when you run a daily podcast and you have coaching calls with your own private clients, and then you have coaching calls with your coaches who have clients in order to keep all of those things going at the same time, 
you just stick to a schedule, you know, and, and everything can happen the way you want it to happen as long as you're planning and you're starting with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. And we always are looking for the best coaches in the country. And I think that we've got a great collection of coaches and that certainly helps and our support staff and all that great stuff, but we're still always systematizing and automating as much as possible. Yeah. You know, we have most commonly asked coaching questions. I have an instant coaching on demand section where if you have a question today and you can't wait for your coaching call in three days, you just find the topic and there's some coaching for you. So some of that is really systematizing our own time, but really try to practice what we preach, which is to create an ideal schedule. That's not crazy. You know, I don't have a schedule that says from 9am until 917. Here's what I'm doing. It's more like from nine to nine 30. You know, these are the things and, and we try and stay in the zone. If we're in a coaching zone, that's what we're doing. If we're on the podcast, we're on the podcast. A long time ago, one of our Howard Brenton friends, um, I can't think of his name right this second, said that one of the keys to running your daily schedule is to be able to flip the switch like an old school TV. And I know millennials probably have no idea what we're talking about, (laughs) but back before there was a remote control, you used to actually get off the couch and change the channel. And he said to me, you know how when you used to be in between channels, there was a like fuzz, it was snow, you weren't really on the other channel. Well, that's what creates stress is when, you know, you're at your office, but you're thinking about vacation. You're not really either place. It's like being in between channels. So his advice years ago was when you're trying to organize yourself, just flip the switch and be where you're going to be. Be there, be present. And it's so much easier than, and I've read some articles in psychology today that say that multitasking is a myth and that trying to do multiple things at once is actually very stressful to your brain because you're not actually doing all these things at once. Your brain's actually turning off and on and off and on and off and on all the time. It's stressful. It actually can shave years off your life. So I like the flipping the switch analogy. Yeah, myopic. I I love that focus. Yeah, that's what you have to be. But Julie, you know, it's funny. (laughs) These topics that we're talking about, Seth, you, you, you obviously have a, you've studied, I can tell by your questions that you've studied a lot of the spiritual aspects of uh, aspects of success. I'm assuming you have anyway, because yes, like the, the, be, the, be, yeah, the being, the being present, you know, uh, that's a tenant of a lot of different religions, but yeah. the, and the other things we talked about, but again, I don't, we intentionally try not to bring that stuff in there into our coaching calls because they're business coaching calls, but the truisms that we're sharing with everyone, you know, here's the funny thing. People are listening right now and they listen to what Julie just said. And every single one of your listeners said, they knew there was not a single person that was in conflict other than people that maybe, oh, I thought pro- or multitasking was a smart thing to do. No, it's dumb. It doesn't work. It's actually a myth. You know it from your own experience, not being able to do anything effectively when you're trying to do more than one thing at once. But it resonates. So the truth resonates. So when you hear something and, and it's just like, uh, it just feels natural, like it's already innate knowledge inside of you. It's because it is already innate knowledge inside of you. We're just reminding you. We're doing our best to try to clear the clouds so you can see the truth, which is always inside of you. Yeah. So this is a question that I'm always curious about. When you're looking for inspiration, where do you look? Like what are your you know, favorite books, plays, you know, what, what opens your mind outside of your work? Well, for me, it's easy because we have a three-year-old and I know you have kids, so you understand. (laughs) And, uh, she's just at such a great age right now. It doesn't really matter what's happening in my day, good, bad, or otherwise. I just, I'll have to spend even five minutes with her and she's so very present. Yeah. 
with what she's doing and very curious and just full of life. And I wish that we all could keep that throughout our lives. I'm not sure what happens to people, but she brings me to the present immediately. You know, right before I had, uh, you know, calls with the coaches and then coaching calls myself. And then we did our own podcast. And then between that and your show today, Zoe and I went on a treasure hunt in the front yard Mm. and she just like, seeing a unique rock. Okay. She found a moth, just the simplest things bring me back to, you know, the present. And of course I have, you know, favorite books and movies and things and music that, um, you know, really brings me back to present as well. But immediately it's absolutely the three-year-old. That's awesome. I, I actually threatened a coaching client today that I was, if she didn't snap to it and, and reset on herself. And we talked about different techniques that she could do. I said, well, you know, don't make me have to send Zoe over there <laughs> to put you up. You know, they call so, it, they yeah, call it, you know, like in, in adult humans, they call that the beginner's mind. You know, it's like a, if you meditate yes, or that. you do martial arts or, or, or you're a monk, it's the idea that you can look at something that you've seen a thousand times as if it were new. That's it. And yeah, still have that really curiosity good. and enthusiasm and excitement. Yeah. What's the best way for people to find out more about you guys? Uh, com. but really on the timandjulieharris.com, there's an absolute ton. I think, like I said, I think we have a couple thousand, well, yeah, a couple thousand of our past podcasts. Nice. Um, we have, I mean, we're closing in on 200,000 regular listeners now. It's kind of crazy, way more than we ever expected we'd have. I mean, we'd hope, but didn't think, but here we go. And, um, yeah, and they can email us directly too. That's, and we do respond to all of our emails. We get people asking us if we're filtering. No, we don't. We respond to them ourselves at our scheduled time. So if you email us, we don't get back to you until an hour later because we're following our own disciplines. But mine is Tim at Tim and Julie is, is, uh, Julie at Tim and Julie And the other thing we'd like to offer your listeners too, Seth, is um, copies of our books. Now, these are on Amazon. They go to Amazon and buy them. And every time they do, we get 10 bucks. So go for it if you want to, but we'll give them to you. The one that's probably the most practical and tactical is uh, the Real Estate Treasure Map. It's less than 100 pages. It's basically a fill-in-the-blank business plan. Kind of takes you from the concept of the idea, how you know, creating the action plan, and then you know, a system in place to put it together. So it's pretty cool. The Real Estate Treasure Map. Uh, then we give you Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate. It's Napoleon Hill's book, but we've added real estate content. Mm. And there's actually four other books. And if they want those books, all they have to do is go to Free Coaching Calls and calls us plural for agents.com. And that's it. Just fill out the form. And they're also going to be entitled to a coaching call with one of our new member coaches if they choose to uh, do it, which all of them do, obviously, because I mean, here they have their treasure map. They want help filling it out. Talk with the coach. That's so awesome. This has been an absolute pleasure. I have really enjoyed getting to know you both and how you think. And uh, I know that our listeners are going to love it. So thanks so much for your time. Our pleasure. pleasure. God bless everyone. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Genius Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to write us a review on the iTunes store. For our full episode archive and access to exclusive bonus content, visit us online at playster.com slash podcast. If you have feedback about Marketing Genius or want to suggest topics and guests for future shows, drop us a line at podcast at playster.com. Don't settle for mediocre marketing. Become a marketing genius and start growing your real estate business online. The Marketing Genius Podcast is brought to you by Playster, the digital marketing platform for real estate professionals, brands, and organizations of all kinds. 
With beautiful websites, lead management tools, marketing automation, and an academy featuring the latest tools and tips, Playster offers real estate professionals everything they need to succeed online. Learn more at Playster.com.